If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians. Today we're in chapter 6, so we're moving right along. Ephesians chapter 6, here we read the Apostle Paul writing to the church. As you know, he's been writing to the various family relationships of husbands and wives. And then there's a chapter division in our Bibles, and that was set just to help, you know, divide up the, the length of the, of the sections. But really, this goes right with what came before, speaking to fathers or husbands and wives. Uh, and now we come to verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, open your word to our hearts and minds, we pray, and we ask you to work in opening our minds, Lord, to your word, so that we could receive it by the work of your Holy Spirit in us. And I pray that the words of my mouth... And the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and ask this. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6 here. So we now come, we've, we've dealt with you know the family life. Obviously the foundational relationship in a family is husbands and wives. But then Paul comes and addresses the children. It's an important point to note in this. And children, if you're if you're a young person and you're here today, God doesn't say, fathers, mothers, make sure your children obey you and honor you. That's understood. But what he's doing here is speaking directly to the children. And so, children, this is not a commandment that your parents have to obey. This is a commandment that you have to obey. And so he speaks to the children here. It's, it's important to note this also we see in this uh, that children were part of the church. You know, that's an important point, part of the argument sometimes we have with our Baptist brothers because they don't like the fact that we uh, have household baptisms in the Presbyterian church and we baptize children born into Christian families. We believe that's a biblical practice, and that's not what this passage is about, so we're not going to dive into that uh, full force today. But I want you to know all the things that Paul wrote about the saints in chapters 1, 2, and 3, when he goes to talk about the families, he doesn't say husbands, wives, and masters, servants. He says husbands, wives, children. Children are part of the church. And he's writing to a church. And if you read through this, it's very clear. He's writing to the baptized members of the church. And so he then addresses the children. I know all the arguments why they, you know, some will say, oh, well, that doesn't apply here, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, look at the word household. Look at what God said to Abraham. And you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, like, like I say, I don't want to dwell on that over much, but it's important for us to note children are part of the church. They're not an unsaved rabble that somehow mingles among us and we tolerate them until they, uh, you know, are able to finally repent and profess faith in Christ. Christ includes them among his people, and they are part of the church very clearly. You can't do away with that. 
Also, another thing we see in this passage is those who would say that God's law has nothing to say to the Christian because we're not under that dispensation are wrong. Now, when people say, oh, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace, that's a biblical statement, and it's absolutely true. That has to do with justification. But to say that the law of God doesn't speak to us as image bearers, by that I mean the Ten Commandments, is absolute folly. If you look at what Paul does here, Paul cites the the, uh, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And he doesn't say that, well, we know this doesn't really apply, et cetera, et cetera. And at the time Paul wrote, it's important to remember, you know, when Paul read all the exhortations to, you know, read the scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When he mentions psalms, that's Old Testament, okay? Uh, when he mentions the other ones, we can say, well, you know, there were New Testament uh, songs that were written most likely. And it says, yeah, there's some, some warrant for that, I believe, quite clearly in scripture. So Paul doesn't hesitate to quote from the Old Testament, as we would say, from the law. When he says, you know, when the scripture says we're not under the law, it means that the demands of the Mosaic administration of the covenant have been done away with by the work of Christ. It doesn't mean that we no longer have to abstain from murder, adultery, covetousness, theft, and lying, or idolatry and worshiping other gods or taking God's name in vain or honoring parents. God's law speaks to us, and we would do well to, to listen to what it has to say. Here we see Paul, bar, you know, not borrowing, but drawing from the law of God to instruct the children in the church. And we can learn from that. It's okay to learn and keep and follow the Ten Commandments. Uh, the system of theology, often it's referred to as dispensationalism, will generally say, well, the law of God doesn't speak to us unless it's reiterated in the New Testament. It's like, find that teaching in the New Testament, would you? God's word, the, the, what we call today the Old Testament, that was the Bible of the early church. The scriptures were being written in the first century, that is the New Testament scriptures. The Bible that they referred to when they're talking about scripture, they're talking about what we call the Old Testament. And so this idea that, well, they, didn't, they knew they didn't have to obey anything in the Old Testament because they weren't under that anymore is pretty foolish, all right? They weren't obligated to observe the Mosaic ceremonial requirements because that was all fulfilled by Christ. But the moral law in the Ten Commandments, summed up in the two great commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, this is all the law and the prophets. They were still under that. They recognized that. Why? Because God promises to write his law in the hearts of his people in Jeremiah chapter 31. And it's not some other law than what's written in the Bible. If you want to have God's word in your heart, read your Bible. That's the word that he's writing. Okay. So just wanted to point that out here before we, we get into the text. That the law of God, and by that I mean the Ten Commandments and what they teach, is normative revelation for the Christian. So when you consider what does God say in the law, that's why it says in Psalm 2, uh, you know, blessed is the man, etc., that his meditation is he meditates in the law of God day and night. You know, we ought to make that our thoughts. What exactly does it mean to have no other gods before the Lord? By the law is the knowledge of sin. There's a useful, uh, a necessary use of the law in regard to identifying our sins. 
I don't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Evangelically, I can say I do, that that has begun to happen in me. I don't love my neighbor as myself. And by evangelically, I mean through the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm beginning to do that. But I do it very imperfectly at times. But God's at work. He's sanctifying me. He's at work. So how do I know how God wants me to walk? By taking heed according to his word. And so... I have a Bible, and that's how I know. This is what Paul's doing here. So important point, okay? So mark that and, and know that, okay? End of rant, okay? Some of you might want to make a note there or something. But it's important for us to know this. So children, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Note this. Children are called to obey. There is obedience, not just expected, but commanded by God. That's an imperative, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. No, in the Lord. That means uh, parents are to give commands and directives and even discipline in the Lord. That is according to God. But children are to obey their parents in the Lord. That means as unto the Lord. And that means all things that are lawful and right. You know, if a parent commands a child to do something that's unlawful, you know, it says, hey, I need you to help me rob a bank, you know, or something. The child can say, no, dad or mom, I'm not going to do that. That's against God's word. Okay. Parental authority doesn't mean if you have a mom or dad, you can throw your Bible away and just do whatever your mom and dad tell you to do. No, here we see a good example of that. God's word speaks directly to the children, not just to the parents. And so children, you are to obey your parents, but you're to obey God first. Remember what Peter said to the Sanhedrin. We ought to obey God rather than man. But that doesn't mean you, you know, everything your mom or dad asks you to do, you file under the category of, well, I have to obey God. I don't have to do what you tell me. You're not a boss of me, as they say sometimes. Uh, you know, you have to obey your parents. But if someone says, well, we need to do this or that or other, et cetera, and you know that that's wrong from Scripture, gently, politely talk to your mom and dad and let them know, hey, mom, I think that's, or dad, that's something that, Maybe we should reconsider doing, okay? Hopefully your parents will listen to you. But when it says obey your parents in the Lord, for instance, in some countries where you know children become Christians and their parents follow another religion. And if their parents say, well, you have to worship my gods. This was a problem in the New Testament times. And the parents say, no, you have to go with me down to the temple and offer sacrifice to Zeus or some other demon god. You know, a child, a young person would have to say, I can't do that, all right? Um so you're to obey your parents in the Lord, but that's not a blind obedience. Just like you know, Scripture says we're to submit to the those that are, have a lawful authority over us in the government. But that's not just a blind obedience. If they tell you to do wicked things or they enshrine immorality, and you, don't, you can't go along with that. You have to say no. When they told Bunyan to stop preaching in England in the 1550s under Charles II, uh, he you know, wasn't a part of the Church of England, and it's, but he was called to preach, and so he did. And they said, well, you're a, you're a tinker, okay? Back in those days, if you had pots and pans, you had somebody come. If they got a hole in your pot, you know, they didn't have aluminum, so things were made out of iron for the most part. Uh, if your pot had a hole in it or a crack, you cracked your skillet because you left it on the fire or something. Well, John Bunyan would come and he'd fix your skillet for you or he'd fix your cooking pot. He was a tinker. And so when he was hauled before the magistrates, he was told, you're a tinker. You're to be tinkering, not preaching. He said, God has called me to preach. 
And they said, you're supposed to obey the government. He would tell them, you've thrown me in jail. I am in submission to you. I let you do that to me. I didn't fight. I submitted. Okay. I submitted as much as I could. All right. And so Bunyan said, you know, there is a type of obedience that uh, where you can't comply with an unjust, wicked law. That doesn't mean you try to overthrow the government or something immediately. He submitted to them. He just said, that's an unjust law. And so uh, we need to recognize that submission is not just a, you know, a blank check for those in authority. So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He says, for this is right, as some have pointed out. It's right according to the laws of nature. It's right according to the law of God. It's right according to society. Children ought to obey their parents because it's right. It's a good thing to see an obedient child. The Bible's full of examples like that. The chief example probably would be Isaac when Abraham said, help me carry uh, this wood up here on Mount Moriah. And as he's going up, he says, where's the lamb, Father, for the sacrifice? And Abraham, I'm sure, sadly said, God will provide a lamb for his sacrifice. Uh, and when he got up there, it says he bound Isaac and put him on, you know, uh, well, that wasn't an altar there, but he, he bound him and was getting ready to offer him in sacrifice to God. I believe Abraham built an altar there. Um, it doesn't say, and once Isaac realized what his father was doing, he said, you crazy old man, and pushed him away and ran off. It doesn't say that. Isaac understood my father is a prophet of God. What this is correct. He's what he's doing. He submitted to him. And it's like, whoa. And then God intervened and, and said, you know, he was testing Abraham. But uh, someone said, that's pretty much submission there to lawful authority. Okay. Uh, and that's also why we don't believe that there's such a thing as direct revelation today. So if, you know, someone says, well, I'm, I'm over you in authority, either a parent or something else, and that God told me to sacrifice you. It's okay now. You can run away now, okay? God doesn't tell parents to do that. But he said, this is right. It's the right thing to do for children to be obedient to their parents. Then he says, honor your father and mother. So now he brings in the law. He says, here's why it's right. It's, it's according to God's law. Honor your father and mother. He says, which is the first commandment with promise? Now, some have pointed out that the actual first command that has any kind of promise um, comes a little bit before that in the, in the uh, second command where he says that he, uh, those who uh, or to dishonor his name, excuse me, where he says that the, the ones who, uh, he remembers covenant, those who, who love him and obey his commandments, he will bless them down to a thousand generations. So well, that's, a, that's a promise. It's a general promise. This is a specific one. That's why Paul says this is the first commandment, we would say, with a specific promise. And that promise is that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. That word well with it, there is the, the Greek word ooh. You've heard me talk about that before. That's how I say good. And there's several words that are translated good into English. But the word ooh is it just means pleasant, delightful, good. Uh, the illustration I've used Plenty times before when you have the 4th of July fireworks, everyone's speaking Greek because when they go off, you hear them say, ooh, it's like, yes, that's good. Okay, and so that's what he's saying. Your life, you'll have a good life. If you have a good relationship with your parents, you'll have a good life. Obedience is the foundation of that, that it may be good with you and that you may live long on the earth. All right. According to God's plan and purpose, this doesn't mean if a child dies in childhood that somehow that child was 
uh, wicked or something like that. It means that child fulfilled its purpose and God called it home. And some commentators have pointed out that God's blessing sometimes is to call children out of this world into his presence where there's joy eternal. Uh, but the promise is here. The general promise is that you'll have a good life and you'll live a long time in, in joy and prosperity. And so in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, now the longer catechism has like 10 or 11 questions on the uh, fifth commandment. And it's really extensive. And we'd be here quite a while if I read all that. But if you have a copy of the larger catechism, it's probably the best exposition of the fifth commandment you'll come across. It goes at, what does this mean? It shows how it applies and goes beyond parents actually to those who are in authority over us in other realms, whether in the state or in the church. But the, I want to read from the shorter catechism because it's not that long. There's four questions. First one is, which is the fifth commandment? And the fifth commandment is, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord God, thy God giveth thee. Question 64 is, what is required in the fifth commandment? Because whenever you have a command, obviously something's required, and then there's probably something forbidden. In this commandment, though, you notice it's a positive commandment. This is not a thou shalt not. This is a thou shalt. Okay. The fifth commandment requireth the preserving, uh, the honor, and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations, as superiors, inferiors, or equals. So it's talking about those that are over us, those that are below us. That doesn't mean that they're less people, but those who are under authority. Remember the centurion? He had soldiers that were under his authority. And equals, okay? In our society, we pretty much consider all, everyone else to be our equal, all right? But there is lawful authority in the family and in, in the uh, civil realm and in the church. If a policeman tells you to halt, you can't turn and go, well, people do that sometimes, but you can't go and say, well, you don't have any authority over me. You go, okay, you halt. Paul says he beareth not the sword in vain. Okay, that was the uh, equivalent of the Glock back in the first century. Uh, and so you stop and you do what he says because he has lawful authority. Okay. So you can't just say, well, you're my equal. He's your equal as far as your rights are concerned, okay? In some ways, he's your servant because he's a civil servant, but he has authority. So we recognize that. This is what the, the commandment is saying. It goes beyond just the relationship of parents and children. Uh, question 65 is what is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. So we're not to do anything against the honor uh, and dignity of those that are over us. Question 66, what is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity. And then they have in parentheses, as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good uh, to all such as keep this commandment. We're reminded in Isaiah where it says the righteous is taken away and ask why the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. So sometimes God calls uh, children out of this world. But anyway, the reason why is though the general speaking of this is that uh, it'll go well with you. Now, Paul sets forth God's command and shows that the first duty of honor to superiors is obedience. 
Okay, so you, children, if you're not obeying your parents, you can't say really that you're honoring them. And I'm talking about their lawful commands. Okay, our Lord Jesus Christ taught this principle also, as recorded in Luke 6, 46, when he said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? But when we speak of authority, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. In your homes, parents, the reason why you want to teach your children to obey your lawful commands, your we can say reasonable commands also, is because you want them to learn to obey the Lord. And this is really important because, you know, sometimes when children receive no correction or discipline in the home, when they grow up later, it's and someone says, well, if you don't repent, you could end up going to hell. And they've never experienced any negative thing happen because of bad behavior. Because mom and dad never lifted a finger to discipline them, giving them a spanking or talking to them, etc., and rebuking them. Uh, they just got away with everything. So then when they hear the gospel and they hear that there's a danger of, of uh, losing your soul, they've never experienced that. Okay, doesn't mean we start beating our children or something like that, but it means we teach them that sin is bad. And, and if you read Proverbs, it's very clear. Physical discipline of children, at least in their early days, is really important. And a lot of people think, well, I don't want to be beating my child the whole time he or she's growing up. That's not what the Bible's saying. If you learn to discipline your children early on, they learn to obey your words. You know, I read book one book years ago, and it said, "Don't, don't wait till you're yelling and screaming and angry before you discipline your children. If you're going to give them a swat for disobedience, teach them to obey you when you speak to them in a calm voice, and they disobey. Because otherwise, they know like, eh, mom's not screaming her head off now and beside herself, so I don't stop. I'm waiting until he gets to that point. Then I know I have to obey her, okay, or dad or whatever. Uh, so parents, teach your children to obey your reasonable commands when you give them to them in a reasonable voice. And if they don't, if they're, you know, in their younger years, it's proper, I think, to apply discipline to them, all right? And the Bible teaches that. Except if you love your child, you'll, you'll discipline him or her actually says him, but it's referring to girls also there, I believe. So we need to recognize that. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? If you belong to God, if you belong to Christ, and you don't obey God, but you're really a Christian, what's he do to you? He chastens you. Why? Because he wants you to learn that disobedience brings about displeasure. If you want to have a happy life, learn obedience first to God and then to lawful authority. All right? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? That's, there's, that's something we should, that verse, maybe really take a look at here soon. Okay, if you're saying Jesus is your Lord, but you're ignoring what it says to do in Scripture, something's wrong. So we need to recognize obedience goes hand in hand uh, with honor. You want to honor the Lord Jesus? It's real simple in one sense. It's difficult without God's help. Do what he says. What does he say today? He says to love others more than yourself, to love God with all your heart. So it's important also to note here when Paul speaks to the children, he uses, you know, we talked about the tenses in the Greek. And when you have a command, and that's what this is, when he says, children, obey your parents, that's an imperative command. He says, Obey your parents. But it's a present imperative. Remember, the present imperatives, are, are it's a form of the Greek uh, imperative or command. 
meaning keep doing something. So it's really nice when you see this because Paul, he uses the present imperative in his original, uh, the, the original Greek text that he wrote in uh, to encourage the children in the Ephesian church to continue obeying their parents. Paul had a very positive approach here to the young people. It's not right to say, well, I know you're all a bunch of rebels and you don't obey your parents. You need to start obeying. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, keep on obeying your parents. That's, when I noticed that, I thought, that's really sweet. Paul, in his apostolic authority, uses very gentle words in addressing the children. And he's encouraging them. And so, parents, we can learn from this, can't we? Those of you who are in authority, whether it, you know, you're a police officer or you know, an employer or father or whatever, we can learn from this. Ah, oh, look at this. He's encouraging them because he's saying, children, uh, continue obeying your parents. He's not implying that they're disobedient children. He encourages them uh, in his manner of speaking to continue in good behavior as obedient children. So that's, it's just kind of nice. I thought there's an important lesson there to learn in, in motivating others to obey. Recognize they are trying to obey. And so we need to recognize that. And children, be of that example where, you know, if someone comes to you and talks about obedience, they can tell you, hey, you know what? You're already doing it. Keep doing this. This is a good thing before the Lord. It's an important principle that Paul is exemplifying here in his exhortation to the children. Children don't always need to be reminded of their failures and shortcomings. That is in their past. Their sins need to be dealt with and their disobedience need to be addressed. But uh, it's important to remind them of the good things that God's doing in them also. And that's important. So, Neither does Paul leave the burden for their obedience completely upon their shoulders, but he immediately addresses the fathers to make their uh, children's obedience easy for them by not giving them harsh or impossible commands. He says, what does he say? He says, fathers, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. All right. Uh, very important. Fathers are forbidden to push their children to open rebellion and anger by harsh commands or unreasonable and unnecessarily severe punishments. Let justice be tempered with mercy, especially in the home. Children do need to be disciplined, but it needs to be done with love and gentleness. Even if it's a spanking, it needs to be done with love and gentleness. You know, uh, the idea of a parent losing their temper and beating their child or spanking them or whatever. That's just an ugly picture. Children shouldn't be provoking their parents to that point. But here Paul tells that the fathers don't provoke your children to wrath, to anger. How so? Does it mean, well, if, you know, little, little so-and-so gets angry, so I guess we need to just back off. No, your child might have a temper tantrum problem that needs to be addressed. But don't be doing things. Don't give unreasonably harsh commands and unreasonable or just never saying thank you to your child when they're trying to obey or never looking at their good qualities. Uh, you'll push them to open rebellion if that happens. And so parents, fathers, note this. That you're not to provoke your children to wrath. But what are you to do? You're to bring them up in the, literally it's, when it says training, it's the word for discipline. That doesn't, he's not using the word spanking here, chastisement. But it means training like you would train a child, like you would train someone. And admonition, that means talking to them, counseling them. Uh, note that, of the Lord. Now, the nurture and admonition or the training and admonition of the Lord, can that mean 
Well, what God's word says to do is what it means clearly, that discipline and training that comes from God himself. So we see this So on both sides. We, the parents need to be gentle but firm, and children need to be obedient. And children, you must take note again that God addresses you directly in the fifth commandment. He tells you you to honor your father and mother. And, you know, those of us who are older and maybe our parents have passed, this commandment doesn't become uh, null once your parents have passed. You know, I found that after my parents have passed that there were times when it's important to honor their memory. You know, and, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody will say, oh, well, you know, your dad. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that's right. He's my dad. Okay. Um, and so it's important that, you know, you, we uphold our parents' memory as best as we can. Okay. And honor them. But parents, there's a real simple thing, too. If your children are commanded to honor you, all right? So what do you do to expedite that? Again, God speaks directly to the child. But what do you do in regard to that? Be honorable. Be honorable. If your children have to honor you, don't make that hard for them, okay? The interesting thing, the word honor there in the uh, original Hebrew, it's the word kavod. That's the word glory, actually, okay? It's the verb form. Uh, it's not saying children glorify your parents. It has that idea a little bit in the Hebrew. But kavod, if you look it up and, and study it out, find out the Hebrew word kavod, its root idea is heavy, something that is heavy. So what's that have to do with honor? Something so It means treat your parents as if they are substantial. They're important. They're not a burden. They're important. And that's the idea when we glorify God. Why? Because it's important. God's glory. There is a the weight of glory. You know, I think that's a biblical expression, or at least it's used sometimes among Christians, the weight of glory. Because glory, it, it means something that is substantial. You know, something substantial, it means it has some weight to it. All right. And that's how children are to treat their parents. There's warnings in the Bible. The Bible says, and children, listen to this. Okay. It said, this is God speaking here. Proverbs 30, 17 says, The eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. That's not a pretty picture. So this is what happens to those that ignore God's commands to honor their parents. In Proverbs 30, verses 11 through 14, there we read, There is a generation that curses their father, and does not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. The idea is they do these things, but they think they're fine. They're pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men starts off disobeying parents, ends up oppressing others. That's what's going on there. And the writer of that passage uh, was amazed. It gives a generation of people that can they can do those things and think everything's fine in life. They don't understand the curse of God that's on them for disobeying his word. So note Paul's descriptions of apostates in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Paul is describing apostates are those who fall away from the faith. They perhaps continue to profess to be Christians, but in reality, in their hearts, they're not. He says to Timothy, this is the last letter Paul ever wrote. 
He says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. It's a mark of apostasy. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Truce breakers, that is, they don't keep their covenanted promises. False accusers, without self-control, fierce, and that means just harsh. Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And then the capstone on this is amazing. He says, having a form of godliness. The people he just described still claim to be godly people, and they have an external form of godliness, and yet all these other things are going on. He's describing apostate religious people who have no morality uh, and no grace functioning in a changing way in their lives. So he says they having a form of God. He's talking about professed Christians. And as he names this whole list of horrible things that we would all say, Lord, deliver us from that. One of the things right in the middle of it is disobedience to parents. So it shows that this is not a minor thing. It's not like, well, you know, if you feel like it, obey your parents. If, if, if it's convenient for you, honor your father and your mother. Young people, that's your chief duty in regard to your, your family. Honor your father and your mother. Paul says they have a form of godliness, that is, those who do all these things. He says, but denying the power thereof. Well, the power is the gospel. Remember in Romans chapter 1? The gospel is the power of God. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that will believe. So they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The power of godliness is Jesus Christ. Him they deny. And then Paul says, from such turn away. From such turn away. That means children. If you've got friends that curse their father and curse their mothers and don't obey their parents, you need to get some new friends. Those people are going to lead you into destruction. From such turn away, God says, avoid people that don't obey their parents. Okay? Avoid people that do all these other things also. And that's not just for the children here. That's for all of us. So the word of God does not give a pretty picture of those children who disobey and thereby dishonor their parents. Well, the commandment is in general the promise is in particular and specific. Honor your father and your mother. It is be long upon the land, that it might be good with you, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So we see this. This is a commandment. And now it applies to all of us also in one other relationship I want to briefly mention, and that is our relationship with God, because he is our heavenly father. And obviously to glorify him is our chief end. Okay, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to what? And enjoy him forever. Now that enjoyment comes within the context of honoring God. God rebuked the priest back in the Old Testament times in Malachi. He said, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priest that despise my name. Then he went in, went on and speaks. That's Malachi chapter 1, if you want to read it later, beginning at verse 6 there. Then he talks to the priest about how they dishonored him in the sacrifices. And they offered, uh, you know, diseased animals and everything else. Uh, 
So he reproves them. And so it's important for us to remember when we're speaking of this, we do want to honor our parents, whether we're presently under their authority or we simply have their memory to honor and remember. Uh, but we also need to recognize the one that we honor above all is our father in heaven. Jesus went as far as to call no man father upon the earth. He was talking about religious titles. And you notice what a large swath of professed Christians do in regard to their ministers. They proclaim them priest and call them father, which is a title specifically forbidden to be used. Um, and Jesus said, one is your father in heaven. Recognize he's the one you're to honor. So we have set before us uh, a commandment and a blessing and a charge. So may God be pleased to help us to uh, obey the commandment in faith. And by the way, it's all by grace. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, work in me so I can understand and do what you've asked me to do, what you've commanded me to do. Because we're God's children. Help me to honor God. And if I'm in a relationship having parents, help me to honor them in a manner pleasing to God. And parents, make it easy for your children to do that. Be honorable, be gentle, but also speak to them the truth in love and let them know they do need your friendship, but they need you as their dad and mom way more than they need you as their buddy. Okay. Uh, so honor God in your relationship with them and who knows what God can do? Okay, so may God bless us in our relationships and in our homes. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you now. We ask you to bless us. We pray you'd help us to understand your commandments uh, and recognize they are indeed exceedingly broad in their application. So help us, we pray, to honor you and to walk according to your word, Lord, and write your law in our hearts and minds so that we would be true covenant keepers and give us grace to obey you and to honor you, Lord, in our various relationships and to act honorably toward others. This we ask with the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.